morning, church. I trust that you are enjoying the service so far. Before I get into it, I just want to pray because I'm nervous. <laughs> Father God, this morning I come before your throne as a vessel, Lord. I have done the preparations, my God, but this is all in vain without your anointing. So I ask, Father God, that you would anoint me this morning to speak the articles of your word with accuracy and precision. Give me clarity of mind, O God, and help me to pace myself, Lord, so that I will be able to share all that you have laid on my heart. I ask this in no other name but the name of Jesus. Amen. So this morning, if I have to title this message the Lord has given me, it would be Reconciled Through Community. Now the word community is used for a variety of purposes to refer to groups or people who share common goals. We commonly speak about academic uh, communities at varsity. Some speak about ethnic communities and others speak about our colored community. But what is a Christian community? And is the term community really fitting to our context, the church? The simple answer is yes. The Greek word for community is koinonia, which means to participate, to partner with, to share, and of course, fellowship. Now, in the week, I wasn't sure whether this word was for the... The Lord spoke to me about um, the importance of community and fellowship, but I wasn't really sure if this word was for the church. And so I prayed, and the Lord gave me confirmation. But when I went to work, I wanted double confirmation. <laughs> so I prayed again, and I said that the Lord must please show me again that this word is for the church. And then I entered into a meeting, and they're introducing a new, um, a new manager at work. And they introduce her, they say, oh, well, team, we want to introduce you to Koinonia. <laughs> she, <laughs> she's from Tanzania, and this was my, what my message was about, Koinonia, meaning to fellowship, to participate with, to share. And I thought, wow, God really has a sense of humor. It's like in your face, you can't escape it anymore. Now, for us, fellowship is much more than cake and tea and casual conversation, although cake and tea is always welcomed. For us, it includes social activities and spending time together outside of our normal church activities, like yesterday with the ITs that were taking place. But in the New Testament, fellowship or being surrounded in Quinonia or community was listed as a top priority alongside preaching and teaching. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. We'll read from verse 42. The title of this passage is The Fellowship of the Believers. Verse 42 reads, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. In 1 John 1 verse 3, it says, 
We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Now it comes as no surprise that the, the new believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. It also comes as no surprise as they devoted themselves to prayer. But to be devout in fellowship is certainly strange if fellowship meant no more than a social activity. In both Acts and John, the New English Bible translates koinonia as sharing a common life. This is what sets our community apart from being a colored community, being an ethnic community, being, a, being an, an academic community. We share a common life that has been reconciled with God the Father through his son, Jesus Christ. This fellowship is relational. It's not just about the IT and coming together and sharing what we did in the week. It is about building relationships. In fact, it is built upon relationships. As much as Jesus came to reconcile us to our heavenly father, he also came to reconcile us to each other. Now, to accept that Jesus came to reconcile us to the Father is fairly easy because Jesus was the one who initiated this. So, um, you can liken this to, it's easy to accept when someone is sorry, but to be the one giving an apology is a whole different story. In fact, some people take months to apologize, <laughs> but we won't, we won't go there today. So now you may be saying, Tatum, this reconciliation you're speaking about is easier said than done. We're all different, and you are right. We all have our different personalities, different things we are dealing with, even different ways in hurting each other. Words we say cannot easily be forgotten. These are things that come out of our mouths. I've heard what Sister Tatum has said about me, and honestly, some relationships are beyond repair. Um... You're right in saying that sometimes people we need to, like Pastor Melvin uh, mentioned last week, that sometimes there's enemies in your own camp and you need to distance yourself from these people. Or I would say put up boundaries. People think that boundaries are um, cutting off. It's not that. Sometimes boundaries actually protect relationships. So we have different issues. These are statements I and perhaps we have used previously to excuse ourselves from fellowship with certain believers or even corporate fellowship. No, I'm not coming to church. These are, these are reasons. I'm not speaking about anyone else's experience. When the Lord first gave me this word, it was for me. It was because I chose to do church and leave. I would come and help, but before anyone could speak to me, or find out how my week was going, I was gone. In fact, some people started know, knowing me by that. The Tatum that just gets in the car quickly, and I'm gone. I didn't want to fellowship with anyone. I didn't want to speak to anyone. Why? Because I was offended, and I felt that I was going to elevate my offenses above what God needed from me, and that was to, fe to fellowship. The thing about offense is it's very lonely, it gets very lonely because you find yourself in your room while all the other believers are by the church function having fun in the sun. <laughs> and you didn't want to go because suddenly I don't have family there. These are things that 
that came from my mouth, and I'm being honest. God is my witness because the Lord wants me to share this experience with you. So basically, I would do church and leave simply because I had believed a lie that I could trust nobody. And that being in community or fellowship with others was much more dangerous than it was beneficial to me. Um, I would get mad when I saw people... Um, like fellowshipping together on these statuses and things. Meanwhile, these people have invited me time and time again. But how much rejection can they actually take? Turn with me to Ephesians 3 verse 14. Keisha, you can just put it up on the projector, please. Ephesians 3 verse 14 says, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now let's examine this passage. Go to verse 15, please, Keisha. Verse 15 reads, From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So every family in heaven and on earth derives its name from the Father. We see this in the Lord's Prayer where the disciples ask Jesus, so how should we pray? And he says, our Father who art in heaven. He didn't say my Father or Peter's Father. He said our Father who art in heaven. When the disciples asked Jesus this, he gave them a corporate model of prayer or a community model of prayer or a fellowship model of prayer. In Genesis 1, verse 26, it says, Let us make man in our own image and in our own likeness, so they may have dominion. Now, the us spoken about here is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So a God who is in fellowship created us in fellowship, so that we may experience dominion. The Holy Spirit will never move you out of fellowship. He always moves us into fellowship. There may be times when God calls you to be alone with him or in a place of solitude where he wants you all to, you, to himself to address certain things. But I highly doubt it would be on a Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. <laughs> we can bring up an array of excuses. The point is God will never inspire us to stay away from fellowship. God desires for us to be unified in fellowship, or rather koinonia, so that together we may enjoy dominion. We see this even with Adam and Eve. Um, when Adam was alone, God said it's not fit for man to be alone. And most times we liken this to marriage. But what God was really speaking about is dominion. There's a certain level of power that comes from corporate fellowship and from fellowshipping together with other believers that you won't experience in your room. Right. God desires for us to be unified in fellowship or rather kononia. Okay. Verse 16. Let's go to verse 16. 
it says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now here Paul is speaking about our own personal reconciliation with God, our own personal relationship. When we are dealing with people, or even in the church, there is no way we can do this without having a relationship with God. A strengthening on the inside must take place. And once this strengthening takes place, we will have the grace and love to deal with one another. In verse 17, it says, So that Christ may dwell with you in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you then being rooted and established in love. So only once the strengthening on the inside takes place will we be able to deal with fellow believers. Why? Because it is impossible to have an effective relationship with the Lord without possessing a measure of love and grace in your heart. The basis of our reconciliation is grace and love. It's like when you're saying, um, I don't need to go to church. I have my relationship with God. Um, that is true, but that's like saying, I like your head, but I like your head, but I don't. That's, that's, what, that's like saying, I like your head, but I don't like your body. So your face looks beautiful, but the rest of you I'm not in agreement with. In verse 18, Paul is saying, once you have this relationship with God growing and strengthening you on the inside, you will, be a, you will then develop the grace for one another and experience power together with all God's people to grasp the fullness of his love. I'm not saying that you can't have um, personal encounters with the Lord in your home. You can. It is possible. Even yesterday, I was having an amazing time in prayer and in fasting while I was preparing for this message. But there is a certain level of power that comes with corporate fellowship that you won't experience in your room. Paul says, and to know, he says, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp then how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And then to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be full to the measure of all the fullness of God. So you will never be able to enter into the fullness of God by yourself, unfortunately. I think that's why the Bible says where two or three gather and not one, two, and three. Where two or three gather in my name, I am there in the midst. Now do thus the Lord's holy people have it together. The word is so amazing. This is um, in First Corinthians. I read this many times. Pastor Brian went over it. But for some reason I got a deeper understanding this time around. So do we have it all together? It's not easy <laughs> to do church with us, is it? <laughs> so we, when, when you're visiting for the first time, we look very nice and <laughs> like we have all our ducks in a row but it's not easy and God doesn't expect us to have it all together let's look at first Corinthians chapter 1 and 2 first Corinthians chapter 1 verse 2 sorry Now, this is Paul addressing the church in Corinth. It says, 
to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So he's saying, just verse two, Kisha, thank you. So he's saying that this is a holy people, they are sanctified. But if you read about the church in Corinth, wow, <laughs> they listed as the church were the ten, ten of the biggest sins. They accepted sexual immorality. They ate food that was sacrificed to idols. Some had, some were sleeping with their mothers. They were incestuous. And here Paul has the audacity to say <laughs> to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. So he's saying they are, my translation says, um, it, it says the Lord's holy people were sanctified. He says they are holy, but when you go into the scriptures, suddenly you are shocked to realize these people are anything but sanctified. The church at Corinth, who Paul deems holy, suffered of incest. Believers were even making cases against each other. Others were eating food offered to idols, some accepting sexual immorality, like I mentioned. The list goes on. It doesn't make sense until I consider that when Paul refers to God's holy people, he was speaking about them positionally. He was saying that in the spirit they are holy, but they are still striving towards the mark. The closer you get to us, the more you realize that we have issues, like a certain brother said on Facebook, nice from far, but far from nice. In fact, sometimes our issues lay all over the place. Sometimes it's a zoo. Maybe that's why certain translations is that we are a new creature <laughs> in Christ. <laughs> We are far from perfect. It gets chaotic. The only person that, we, that will never disappoint you while you get to know them is God. But that does not mean that the work of sanctification has stopped in our lives. Just like in the church of Corinth. We work through it. We work over it. Regardless, we are still his holy people. There is not one perfect person in the scripture besides Jesus. Even Paul suffered of his anger issues. Even Paul's issues were all over the place. So when God is calling us into fellowship with our brothers and sisters, he's not calling us into a church that has it all together. This is why you can have someone on our Zoom prayer meetings from the, U from the U.S. like Apostle Peggy Scott. You can have someone from Brazil. You can have someone from Eastridge, from Portland's, from Westridge. All finding expression within the fellowship of the kingdom. Because together we share a common life. And that is what separates us. Our colored communities, well, some of them have not been reconciled to God like we have. We share together a common life. Sometimes because we come so close to each other, you know, we have our, our preferences of who we want to get close to. We start to know people's weaknesses over time. So you know that, okay, sister X suffers from gossip and brother this and that is a fornicator. That we, so scripture teaches us that we 
being rooted and established in love, have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and deep is the love of God and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all God's fullness. Now, what am I saying? I'm saying that how do you begin to understand the perfect, immeasurable love of God? What is Paul saying in the scripture? The only way we can truly understand the perfect love of God is through the imperfections of his people. It's seeing a brother like Brother Arthur who has shared his history with us, bending down by the altar, looking at how God is working in his life. Brother Craig, you too, all of us here coming together in corporate worship, marveling at these brothers who have committed their lives to Christ again and are going forward with the Lord. Now, are they perfect? No. Do they have issues? Of course they do. Sometimes, like I mentioned before, it lays all over the place. But when Paul says that the church in Corinth is holy, he is speaking about them positionally. It doesn't mean you have failed that you now have somehow escaped the holiness of God. No, the work of sanctification is always going on. It is our sister like me who was always busy and basically grew up in the church from Wonder High. <laughs> then got offended and suffered from unforgiveness and would stay at home when important church activities took place. Didn't want to be around people. And then the Holy Spirit used the scripture. I will share with you later on. The Holy Spirit used the scripture to reconcile me back to where I'm supposed to be. This is how we see the perfect love of God through the imperfections of his people. Why does X place such an important emphasis on fellowship or to be surrounded by believers? Now, this is the scripture I'm coming to. Acts 14, verse 8, please. We're going to read from verse 8. It says, In Lystra there sat a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lysonian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the, apostle, when, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too, only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations, nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your heart with joy. 
even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. Now here, the Jews came. It's funny how they just switched on Paul. They actually, some um, translations say, apparently dead, right? Which means they didn't just like push him around. They actually beat him up to a pulp. Maybe he couldn't walk, but I mean, how much damage can these Jews have done if the, if the Bible is saying that they thought he was dead? So Paul was in a state, um, probably on his way to ICU. <laughs> but this is Paul, the, some scholars call him the champion of the gospel. Uh, this man wrote most of the epistles. And just, just, just look at what the next verse is. It says, but after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. My translation says that after the believers have gathered around him, he got back and went back into the city. And the, the Passion translation says, after the believers gathered around him, miraculously, he got up and went to the city. Now, this is Paul. He just healed a man. They were tearing the, they, um, they teared their clothes because people wanted to worship him. The same Paul who wrote most of the epistles. He has been stoned by his persecutors, even the Jews. They have stoned him and dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. But now in verse 14, the believers surrounded him and miraculously got up and went back into town. The text doesn't say that they prayed for him or spoke in tongues, or laid hands on him. All it says is that the believers gathered around him. In fact, we don't even know what these believers' names are, which means it, it is entirely irrelevant. It is only the point, this point in the scripture, is only made around Paul being uh, surrounded by believers. It reminds me of the scripture that says, one can chase a thousand but two can put 10,000 to flight. Up to the third heaven and said, there are things that he can't, a man can't utter, things that are unlawful to speak. But when he was down and out, he needed to be surrounded. Surrounded, not even prayed for. <laughs> no one spoke in tongues over him. No one gave him a psalm and said, you need to encourage yourself. All the believers did was surrounded him. His lifeless, almost lifeless body. No wonder the Bible says, I was glad when they said, let us go up to the house of the Lord. Have you ever been in a situation where things were just down and out, but as you stepped over the threshold, things begin to change? I get emotional thinking about it because there were times where I felt like, I was dragged out of the city. You know, family and friends had abandoned me, patted me, bruised me, and nobody knew about it. But I would make my way to church, and I would sit behind the, the computer there. And just by sitting there, I would hear Brother Cyril <laughs> lifting his hands, praising God. Malisha would be praying. Justin's hands is raised. 
Lucinda's leading us in powerful worship. Auntie Josephine is busy blowing the horn. And suddenly, suddenly something inside of me stirs. And I find myself lifting my hands too. Because no matter where I've been, when I walk over that threshold, I am surrounded. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it. I'm sure that Paul thought they were leaving him. They were hanging him out to dry. I'm sure he said his final words to the Lord in that moment. But when the believers surrounded him, something happened. It even says that he went back. He got up and he just went. He got up and he just went back into the city. Paul is the one that says, we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. But even he, couldn't un- he couldn't, could not withstand the battering and bruising of people who seemingly worshipped him. He needed to be surrounded. We don't know the names of the believers who surrounded him. But aren't you glad that they did? In fact, it seems to be relevant. All that we know is that Paul was in Koinonia. He was in close fellowship with other believers. My question to you is, who is surrounding you? Some of us are dragged out of the city. Some of us have been left for dead. But the church doesn't know because fellowship isn't important to us. We are not plugged in. Our walls are so high, nobody can reach us. Some would even say, who is Sister Tatum? We don't know her. Because for us, we do church, and when the benediction is given, we leave. But there are people who are plugged in. When we don't see them, we miss them. Where's Brother Raymond? I didn't see him in two weeks. I need to give him a call. Maybe he's lying down somewhere. Maybe I can come and surround him. Sometimes we need to be surrounded by listening ear. Other times by visitation. Sometimes counseling and intercession. Sometimes through an (laughs) e-wallet. But nonetheless, it doesn't matter how anointed you are. It doesn't matter how eloquently you speak or how much followers you have. There will come a time when you need to be surrounded. Speak to someone in church who has lost a family, and they will tell you how a church play, the church played an important role in their lives. I heard a man say, the church is our second chance at family. It is not like a family. It is one. Jackie Hill Perry says, And I quote, you know who God used to heal me from church? The church. (laughs) So this morning I want to close and say, you are surrounded. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it. We're all still working out our own issues. We haven't arrived yet. Sometimes it looks like things are falling apart. But as you come over that threshold, know that you are surrounded. During the week, when you put your uh, request on the prayer group, you are surrounded. We will surround you with prayer. Sometimes we think about you. 
Sometimes we send you a message. Like I said, sometimes we even sow into your life. We all have a story where we can testify to that. But in closing, I want to remind you that you are surrounded. Thank you.